The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is former footballer Dean Richardson. Dean talks about his days as a youth player at Celtic in the early 2000s and the progression of his career after leaving Celtic Park. There's some funny stories about nights in the cells in Dublin and physical assaults from the enigmatic Tommy Gravison after beating about pool. But most importantly, Dean tells me about his recent testicular cancer battle at only 34 years of age and how vital early detection was in saving his life. You'll hear great advice and we dismantle the notion of embarrassment when it comes to something so serious. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it because it's a great help. And this one has some especially valuable information in it. Remember, check yourself and get to the doctor if you think even the slightest thing is wrong. It saved Dean's life and it could save yours. By the way, I'm doing Blethered Live at Pollock House at 6pm on Tuesday the 17th of August and I'll be interviewing Sanjeev Kohli, a.k.a. Naveed from Still Game. It's part of the Great Outdoor Cinema, which is running all week. It is literally an episode of Blethered with the usual patter, except you can come and watch us doing it live. The link to buy tickets is in the episode notes. They've gone fast, but there's still some left, so don't miss out. Also, keep an eye out for information on another live Blethered show at one of Glasgow's iconic venues very soon. This episode is brought to you by debt experts. Don't fret about debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blethered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt senior debt advisor Tommy Gallagher, where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Fret About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland, helping you make an informed choice. Take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. Dean, cheers for coming in, mate, for, for a wee chat. Thanks very much, Sean. Thanks for having me. Um, I think it's important to get my message out there. Um, so thanks very much for giving me the platform. Aye, absolutely. Well, so we are going to talk about your sort of cancer diagnosis and all that, but before we do get into the heavy stuff, we'll start a wee bit lighter, I suppose. Is it, <laughs> is it Bells Hill that you grew up in? No, no, no Bells Hill. Um, Hamilton, I'm a Hamilton, Hamilton boy, born right. and bred. So I uh, grew up in a, a, a place called Hill House. Um, so anybody from Hamilton or not can be quite a, a rough and tumble place. So council schemes, etc. So Aye. grew up there. Um, my mum and dad still stay there just now. Um, aye, that's it. Obviously, he's a big Celtic fan. Uh, yep. Myself and and even football fans will be interested in hearing. So you you started at Celtic. Was it two thousand and four? Was that when you went full time? It was a bit before that. It was um, probably two thousand two. Right, um, okay. I actually went full time. Um, I actually went in it probably before I should have. Um, when I was fifteen, so I left as soon as I done my standard aye. grades. Albeit I probably wasn't at the legal age. Celtic and my school came to an agreement to kind of. Um, I think it was called like a work placement a work experience right, thing right. so I was actually able to go full time probably a year before I should have that I mean 2002 is that's the golden era like a Celtic team could go and win the Champions League the World Cup in Wimbledon <laughs> now and they'd still would never eclipse that team for me I mean what were the type uh, of names that were I about mean, then I mean when, I, when I'm reminiscing now and you, you need to pinch yourself 
because they were my heroes as well. Um, and you're in, you're cleaning their boots, you're watching them train, you're watching them getting changed and having pattern, they're having banter with you. Aye. It was unbelievable. Um, what a team. I don't think Celtic will ever have a team like that again. No, never. It, it, would, take, it would take for something ridiculous. Obviously, the, the first one, it's, it's the predictable question. You'll be asked a hundred times, but what was Henrik like? Well, he's he's my all-time hero. He's my all-time favourite player, Celtic player. My dad's is like Douglas and stuff like that. Mm. But I obviously wasn't born in that era, but for me, Larson's the best player of all time. What was it? Because there's a tick. I've heard people saying there was a type of arrogance about him or he was a bit standoffish or cold, but I'd imagine one, he probably got harassed all the time and just couldn't really, because he shunned the celebrity limelight, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was very he was very quiet and um, just kept himself to himself. He loved a game of pool with Lambo, I remember that. He loved a game of pool, um, but he, he was very quiet, just relaxed. I wouldn't say arrogant. I think to be a player like that anyway, I think you have to kind of have an arrogance, but it wasn't it wasn't bordering on ridiculous. It was a, a kind of self-confidence, I would say. I, I, I would totally agree. I mean, I only got to meet him twice and I was like t- nine, I think it was eight or nine and then 12 or 13 and he was always very lovely and I think people mistake not being a total people person or wanting to entertain everybody as being sort of arrogant yeah. or aloof. It's probably just a a sort of Swedish way as well what was what about Martin O'Neill and stuff did you have much dealings with him or was it used no, to I mean for me when I signed it was really it was Tommy Burns that, that done everything really on mm-hmm. that side he obviously headed up the, the youth side at that Aye. point so I never really had many dealings with Martin O'Neill um, he was he was kind of aloof for the, for the youth players really and he, he would probably I would probably say if you had to speak to some of the first team players back then he was probably aloof with them he was very quiet it was um it was mainly like um, Steve Walford and John Robertson. Mm-hmm. They were the guys that were kind of in the, in the background speaking to the players and stuff. But he had an unbelievable presence. You could just tell when he appeared at training or he came to watch a game. He just Aye. had that kind of that. He just had that 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 presence about him. Andy Walker said um, that he grew up a big Celtic fan and stuff. And he said, "There's always when you're on the outside looking in, there's this element of." of magic and sort of you don't really know what's going on but when it becomes your employer it kind of changes for you because it's just somewhere you go in every day and as a youth player you're doing menial tasks like there would come a point eventually where you're like I can't be asked cleaning these boots or, or tidying this kit room or it and did that kind of ha- change happen for you? See for me I, it was a complete opposite it, it could be a pain in the arse at times um, but I loved it I, it sounds daft, but I just loved being in about it. Like Aye. working with John, John Clark at the time, Lisbon Line. Yeah, you're, you're working with him, cleaning boots, and I, and I know that you could have bad days and stuff like that. But I just loved it. You were like, how many how many people do you know? How many fans would have like crawled over broken bottles to have that opportunity? Aye. And I obviously hear now these days that especially in England and I think up here as well that that's all been done away with, and it, it, it's a great grounding. Um, it mm. keeps you on your feet you'd maybe score a goal with the youth team and then the next day you're in cleaning boots so you're back down you're back down aye, to, bring you aye, back, down back down to, earth. to planet earth innit? cleaning the I was going to say cleaning the terraces as if terraces existed but um, <laughs> cleaning the seating areas or whatever you call aye. it as um, what for, growing up wise what what was that like because I'm, I'm were you did you hang about the streets were you, did, were you much like so, a drinker no no for me it was probably later on um, we'll probably touch on that but um I never drank at all, really. Um, as a youngster, and it was it was in every street corner. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. Where I grew up, it was it was rife. Um, drugs, drink, underage drinking. But for me, um, the, 
I suppose for me that my, my outlet we had a a master faster tough pitch called the Jokestein Sports Barn right. and I, I just I lived out of that place so I'd literally finish school every day and I would be like run home changed and I would be I would be down there playing at 8, 9 o'clock at night. My, my old man would, this was before mobile phones. Aye. My old man would have to drive down and drag me up the road to get something to eat and stuff like that. Shame, so yeah. I really just grew up, it was fit, just fit by in the brain. Um, whether it was it was playing with my boys' club team, playing in the schemes, playing, I mean, I don't see it anymore. I used to play with regularly boys, three, four, five year old on me. And Aye. you would get volleyed, you'd get kicked up and down, you'd be cheeky, you'd get a slap in the head and... For me, that's where I learned to play the game, to be honest. Uh, that just sounds like my my exact upbringing as well. Just constantly playing, playing in bits of grass between two trees, playing even in my street. Mm-hmm. It was, looking at it now, if I ever drive through where I, a street, the street I grew up in, and we would have these two goals, and in my mind at the time, that's a pitch. Yep. But now it's a it's a single track road with curbs on, on either side, and yep. you don't ever see that, even... I feel like you hardly ever see wee guys hanging about in general. Oh, I know. I suppose because they can they can be social for the comfort of their, their living rooms or their, their homes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, my daughter's just about to go to high school. She's just about to turn 12 and it's night and day. Mm. Uh, everything Aye. everything has to be structured. You have to have times, you have to have play dates or, or whatnot. I mean, but back in the day, it was like... Aye, it's... I would go up like the nature trail like where I stayed it's not it's not a big block of fancy houses and stuff but back then you'd be away like building dens tree swings and you'd be away for eight nine hours I, I grew up in Rob Royston <laughs> and uh, it was half of Rob Royston was a building site for about 10 years and it's this isn't right but at the age of seven and eight we would be like playing in the building site stealing stuff from the building site to go and build dens and the rest of the time you're playing football and all that and yeah. that is it, it, it's just so different I don't know why do you think that is like because you're as a parent I think obviously um, technology has obviously just went berserk probably the last 15-20 years the only technology I had at that age was my pal's chipped Playstation that, funny enough the, the guy that chipped my Playstation was the ice cream van as well we used to DVDs and games <laughs> for a fiver and stuff <laughs> so it was like you get your games there You'd obviously some of your pals that smoked would get fags in that after it's changed days now. Aye, things are so different. Aye. Um how how long were you at Celtic? Did you leave? Was it under Gordon? So Park? I was actually affiliated to the club for the age of nine. So I was scouted right, okay. at nine. Um playing for I don't know if these these teams are still going, but it was like the best like kind of primary school players mm-hmm. or represented like the 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 district. Right, aye. So I was fortunate enough to get picked for that team and we were playing some good teams like about Glasgow and Edinburgh mm. and we were playing a game one day and the scout came up and spoke to my dad after the game and um, they had a satellite they called them satellite centres at the time um, they had one in Hamilton at the Palace Grounds aye, aye. Um, so I just started going there on a Tuesday night training um, and then I actually moved I was at that age I was still playing like, um, in my boys club they were just transitioning from 7 sides to 11 sides and then the scout actually recommended me that I go to the Celtic boys club and I've read a lot that they only affiliated but mm-hmm. they were certainly affiliated when, I was, when I was playing um, so I went and played two seasons there with the boys club and that was through in St Rocks they, they, they played out of St Rocks juniors aye, aye, aye. and um, 
probably players like Michael McGlinchey was a player there with me he um, went to New Zealand yep. and uh, we Paul McGowan right, aye, so they were teammates of mine so we then the three years kind of then transitioned at the same time for the boys club and we went into the academy was Paul McGowan as aggressive then as he is as yeah. a player now I mean I don't like to uh, speak out of school but he's the angriest wee guy I've ever <laughs> met in my life and he's been he's been like that since I've known him I was always really surprised when he left I think it was um, I'm sure he played against Man City pre-season 2008 and he might have scored and then they let him go I was really surprised by that top player top boy he, I've went holiday and all that with Gowser and I've, I've not known him really well kind of not been in touch as much in recent years but um, he just wants to win really He's, he's a, he just loves winning hates getting beat angry wee guy on the park but after the park great guy I know he's obviously had his, his, his issues and stuff um, but I can only speak for how I see him and he's a, he's a top, top wee guy Mm. and he's a great player he transitioned into a great player and probably a good one for you to kind of maybe sit down and have a chat with because he never had it easy he was actually on the cusp of maybe not really going full time because mm. he's height and stuff like that I suppose you tend to find with, with players or people like that when people are just judging them based on on their, their persona on the park like people are very different you know in real life as they're on the pitch it doesn't represent um, sometimes there are, there are things that can probably transfer onto the park and, and kind of misrepresent them were there any players you, you played with that you can think of that, that were on the cusp of making it or there were, there were other things that, that maybe were getting in the way say they did have other distractions whereas you were away playing as a wee guy you didn't have any other sort of carry on I know that's kind of I'm asking you quite a, a um, tough question I think it's par for the course, really, isn't it? It's like, I'd say probably that 14 to 16 is a critical age. Aye. Um, where obviously you do get distractions, females, and you want to go drinking, like your, your normal pals that have maybe no sacrificed mm-hmm. and went training, they're starting to maybe party a bit and whatever. And I think, regardless of where you come from, in the west of Scotland, it's rife, so you're going to have the distractions anywhere. Mm. Um and not, not off the top of my head can I remember anybody but I'm sure there's probably if I really thought about it there was players that I'd played with at school or whatever that you probably thought what a player he is mm-hmm. um, but no, not, not really anything off the top of my head that would ring a bell Was it was it under Gordon Strachan that you ended up leaving Celtic? What happened? Yeah it? so it was um, that last year with Strachan so for me personally um, I went full time and I actually snapped my right leg within six months of going full time uh. Um, and I had to get a plate and six pins put in my leg. I was only I was only just about to turn sixteen at that point. That's, that must proper test your your. I do, it was. It was. It, I think it was just the way it happened as well. It was um, down the back of Barrafield. It was a. It was January the fourteenth. It was my sister's birthday, and it was um, just an innocuous kind of tackle and a seven aside training game. Mm-hmm. Just in my my. my my leg just planted and my weight just went and my right leg snapped and um, but I mean I was still young enough at that point and um, I got back for that and I think I made I made my return within about 67 months but the issue that I had was because I was still growing at that point I had to go back in and I had to get all the 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 metal removed so the following pre-season and then I don't know if it was because he the leg and I was I don't know if my running style or whatever changed but I then um, I got another it was probably worse than the leg break and it was just before striking came in um, I got an injury called osteitis pubis which is inflammation of the pubic bone right and um, at the time 
I'd actually not played for Scotland at any level because you're not allowed at Celtic back in the day. You weren't allowed to play schoolboys because they never let you play for your high school team. Right, aye. And when I broke my leg, I never got picked. So a few of the boys get picked, but I'd broke my leg. So once I'd came back for the leg break, I'd I'd been called up to the European Championships under 17s. I was really looking forward to it, but I had really started to feel this mm-hmm. niggle. In hindsight now, I should have just held my hands up and said I felt something, but I played with it for about three or four months and it just gradually got worse and worse and worse mm. and got to the point I couldn't even get up out of my bed in the morning and then it, it kind of all came to a head I was, we were playing Hibs um, in a youth game down at Barrafield and I just went to get the body just like open up and, and play a pass and I just kind of folded just folded <laughs> on, the, on the park and Jim McAnally was my manager at the time and he actually took me up to the, the first team we were playing at home later that day and he took me up to see Roddy McDonald, who was a club doctor at that time. He took me in and he'd done these, a couple of these examinations and he just went ballistic. He's like, there's no way that that's just happened. You've you've had this. This is Aye, potentially this really, this is a really serious injury I think you've got. And then very quickly I went to Ross Hall and I got an MRI scan and I was told that it was one of the worst cases of that osteitis pubis that they'd seen. And then I was sent down to a, a specialist in Leeds within about a week with one of the physios and a couple of other boys had it but um, there was actually a few of the, the youth players that had the same injury it's, um, I think if one or two but there was a lot of players that had it maybe it was different it was um, different levels of how, how bad it was Were you did you just not want to say anything because you thought it would harm your chances? I think for me it was like um, for me like, representing Scotland was a big thing for me mm-hmm. and I didn't want to kind of give that up Aye. and then as well you don't want to stand still players Players will move ahead of you. Aye. Celtics, youth team at that point, even the ones that were coming under us and the ones above you, it was really competitive. And if you're out in the sidelines and you're no training, somebody's going to catch the eye and, and, and move up the pecking order. For the stories I've heard as well, it seems like a proper ruthless place to be. Like, oh, as if you need to be tough. 100%. Um, I, I kind of say to my pals, it was like you kind of put a face on it sometimes. Aye. I was really low. And I hope Celtic have changed... Um, there wasn't really an outlet and it would have been frowned upon if you spoke about how you really felt. So mm-hmm. you were getting injured and sometimes you were having to pick yourself up off up the flare in the morning Aye. to go in and get treatment because you're like, your self-confidence, your self-worth is at rock bottom. I, th- I think obviously Celtic are a, are a club that have always, the priority has been you know, playing the Celtic way, being good players and stuff, but there seems to me to have been in the past a sort of... Um, like yeah, I don't know ethos or culture of well, if you can't handle getting it stinking off us, or if you can't handle playing through a bit of pain, how do you expect to play in front of sixty thousand when really the two things don't mm. really marry up with each other? Do you feel that? I definitely felt that um, when you were when you were in a commodity or, or you, you you couldn't play, I definitely felt I definitely Aye. felt that there was a change to how mm. you were treated. I'm not saying it was bad. The physios were always brilliant because obviously you spend the majority of your time with the guys. Aye, aye. Um, but I did feel that it, I think people could have done more to mm. just kind of put an arm around you and make sure that you were all right. And aye. maybe that's just my own personal experience. And me as a me personally, I, I, I look back now and I was quite. I probably wasn't the easiest person to approach at times as well because I was probably I could be quite aggressive and whatever. Um, so I don't know if that was the case mm. but it would have been good if there was somewhere that you could go privately and maybe just offload a wee bit Aye, I'd imagine I mean that's probably a cultural thing isn't it the cultural shift that we've seen in 
and how people deal with things, but then you put it in a, an environment like that, wherever it is heightened, and it is yep. like, well, toughen up, yeah, be practical, yep. kind of like, is the mentality. Well, I look at it like my five year like, that was full time. Two of the years were injured. I, I was injured, mm. so the Austin Pubis, I was out for twelve months. Aye. And when I went to see the specialist in Leeds, so I had no family with me, just the Celtic physio. I went in, so he'd been sent my, my scans for Ross Hall, and he was a German guy. And he didn't pull any punches. He literally says, like, there's a right good chance you'll need to retire. Mm. So to hear that, I think I was 18 at the time. Aye. You've not even got started. Aye, and it's like, and it was, so bye. It was, it was really difficult. And um, you get the injection, and he tells you, look, it's complete rest. So even with the leg break, you can go and do a form of a rehab. Whether I was very slight when I went full time, so I was able to work in my, my upper body and, and, and get a bit bigger mm. when I broke my leg. Um, but with that injury, I was literally told for at least 10 months, no physical exercise because it's obviously weight burn. Yeah. Where the pubic bone was. Aye. So to be told that, and I just felt useless to be honest. You were picking up your wages and you were just maybe helping John Clark doing the kit and whatever. You just felt as if you were like, you shouldn't be there. You felt what a bit of an imposter. I remember uh, there'll be a lot of people, um, people that have been involved in football at any level throughout their lives that will be able to relate to this. But when all you do is play football, when it's with your pals, and then that becomes your identity. People know you as Celtic player, and, and that is where you get your self-worth and self-value. If you can't do that, you must feel, you feel on the floor. Even if I, if I play a game of fives, and I'm terrible. I'm not as chirpy as I usually would yep. be. Such a, um, you kind of take a back seat because you're like, yep. oh, I, I don't really have the, I've not really earned the right to be to be 100%. acting like this. So the boys would come up for lunch, and it, it's completely different. You can't, you can't obviously discuss because you've not had, the, you've not played any part in the training. Aye. You've not played any part in the games, so you do feel like a bit of an outsider. There's obviously, there's obviously like the injured boys, and you all kind of club together and get each other through it. And some of the first team players were great with that. I know like Sean Maloney had really bad injuries mm-hmm. when I was at similar times as well, with his knee and stuff like that. But um I you do feel out the loop that you can't you can't get involved mm-hmm. in the banter with the training and whatever. When uh, when you did end up moving on, how did that come about and how how did that feel? Because again, you've been involved at the club for nine years old, like more than half your oh, life. I, I mean, again, that was that was probably up there with the injuries. We'd actually We'd actually just won the the youth cup in the um, the uh, the youth cup final and the league the youth league. So mm. we'd, we'll, we'll, I think we were one of the first youth teams to do it back to back. We won the double back to back. Really successful youth team. Nobody could really touch us. Hearts were probably the best team. Probably um, under I. They had a really strong team at that time. We're talking about the boy Andy Driver was a standout. Callum Elliott, Lee Wallace, uh, the boy Edgar Johnson. They did a really solid team. Jason Thompson they had a really strong Aye. youth team hearts um, so we we beat them in the semi-final one year and then we beat them in the final the following year next extra time but they had a really strong youth mm. team at that point he's a beating them uh, how how does it come about did they just kind of sit so, down so <laughs> it was really out the blue I was just about to go on holiday with my missus and I got a phone call um, for Willie McStay asking if I could go into the park and that would have been my first year cemented as like, you can't play youth team football anymore, you're going to be a reserve player. Mm-hmm. And I had a year left in my deal and him and Tommy Burns just pulled me in and says, look, um, we think it's going to be difficult for you to break in. And they were actually they were actually trying to just like, pay me up, really, mm. um, and, and just release me there and then, albeit I had a year left. And that was difficult because you've just came off of the high you win in the youth cup. Aye. You want to obviously have a couple of weeks off and then you get yourself prepared Back for pre-season. In, yeah. 
So that kind of, that, that killed me. And um, a few things came about. The, the money that they offered me for my last year, I just thought, when there were, when there were players in, in their own thousands and thousands of pounds and they were trying to penny pinch me out of uh, one year. Does, aye, that, does that change really your affection me. for the club? It did. It took me a long time to go, to go and watch a Celtic game after mm. that. Um, that was maybe too strong, but I just... I had, I didn't. I didn't like the culture of the club that last year. Because it, it's hard. I think it's hard for fans to understand, and it's also hard then as a player or an employee to differentiate between the club itself. And I mean, not to get too airy fairy about it, but brother Wolford Celtic through the decades, and then the custodians of the club. It's like when people get pissed off at the club now. It's like you're not angry at Celtic. You're angry at the Some, kind of people yeah, that run it. Yeah. But it is hard to. It's hard it's to separate diff- that. Yeah. It was a hundred percent, and it was. I'm not going to lie. It was difficult to watch games and for a while. And um, but I think obviously time's a great healer. And mm. You kind of move on. You get older. You, you reflect a bit more, and you realise that look, there's not many people would have got to experience what I did. You know what I mean? So um, no, but it did initially, mm. and even that last year, because essentially I just dug my heels in and just stayed and got every penny mm-hmm. because quite right. Um, yeah, so do you know, that's another thing people don't ever realise where they'll be like, um, they'll accuse players of being uh, disloyal towards a club or they will say, you're trying to get money at the club. Well, you've you've both made an agreement and the other party are then trying to just go back mm-hmm. on that agreement. Why yeah. Why should you? Yeah. Like, the, the club will get rid of a player and they, yeah. they, they, they uh, click your finger. Yeah, definitely. And that's what it felt like to me. I, I just felt as if it could have been handled a bit better. When you've come off of that high... And then you're kind of brought back down to earth yeah. with a bump when you think. I mean, look, I'm not, I, I, I think I was obviously always going to be a bit short to, to ever play, but not even be kind of gave pre season, you know. And then mm. what, what, would, what would have been the point? You could have easily let me do pre season and say, look, I don't think you're going to get ample opportunity. And by the way, it, they were right. I mean, who are we up against? Some of the, I mean, this is how this is how much Celtic squad has changed. That reserve, some of the reserve teams that they put out back then. I remember one of the reserve starting 11s. It could have probably won the league. <laughs> it was Davy Marshall in goals. I'm sure it was John Kennedy and Bobo Baldi at centre half. <laughs> Alan Thompson was playing in midfield. Sean Maloney was playing. Craig Beatty was playing. Derek Riordan was playing. Yeah, uh, so how many is that? That's like maybe eight players I've just named there. So there's three three reserve players or trying to kind of get into that starting line. At that point at the start of uh, Stratton's tenure as well, McGeady was floating in and about the reserves until he eventually <laughs> cemented his place. Unbelievable talent. I mean, just unbelievable player. Great right. or probably the best ability-wise I've ever seen like in terms of feet and whatever. I first played against him when I was like 10, 9, 10 and he was playing for Glasgow Roman Catholic schools or something and it was like honestly it was like Roy the Rover he was beating the full team and all that I <laughs> just pure ridiculous oh it was scary I, don't, I heard him speaking recently actually saying he almost went to Arsenal You're like how different things could have been I don't doubt he could have got into their team because I think said that was part of his reason for no going but based on everything that we saw he probably would have staked a, a solid claim I'm glad he never uh, I mean I know Celtic fans have kind of say, "Oh, he's end product at times," but I watched him. I watched him doing, especially when I was injured. He'd, he'd kind of started training with the first team, and I would just go and watch the first team training. Mm. And he's obviously training me like Larson, Sutton, Petrov, Maloney, top players, Aye. Lennon, and he still stood up. He was still one of the best trainers, and his self confidence it was unbelievable. He backed himself at a very young age. I remember 
I remember a story he went in and chapped while he made stays door I think he'd only kind of played like one or two games for the youth team and he never he was a sub against Rangers he went in his, he went in his office the next day and says why was I not playing and stuff like that <laughs> I think um, he'd be a Celtic player and I think that's where maybe some players fall short they've got the ability but you've, I think you've got to have that kind of self-confidence to go and play in front of big crowds and big games Aye. with a lot on the line and he had that in abundance I totally agree with it I think we, we, we've seen last season with, with no crowds being in no fans being in what I would call an, an anomalous season where you're seeing like well, what happened with Celtic for a start um, but you know Man United to get beat 6-1 at home mm. uh, was, that, was that off Tottenham? Yep. Oh, Villa yep. absolutely battered them as well Spurs, uh, Spurs pumped them I, I, th- or something. I think what that shows you is that when you when you if you if you put all these players if you're I don't know let's just say you're able to assess technique or skill level in general I don't think there's actually that much that separates players but it's the ability to be able to do it under pressure week week you know week by week uh, and to date with the fans on your back or the pressure of like a hostile crowd, I think that's what then separates the, the proper big game players. 100%. And... I mean, you just need to watch. I mean, never shy away. He would always take the ball. Aye, you aye, know what I mean? Aye. Even if he wasn't having the best of games, he would never he would never shock his responsibilities. He'd take it. I was always disappointed that he never came back. And it seems like it was always possibly on the cards and then just never actually mm-hmm. happened. It's funny that with the amount of transfers it could have been. I think like things that could have, could have nearly happened, but I'm sure he's... Uh, Yep. I'm sure as he sits in his two million pound house, he's not really bothered that. I know, that I, know. I know, unbelievable. But I, he's a good lad as well. To be fair, um, was it was it Bohemians that you moved on to? It was. I went over to Ireland, and um, again, it was um, something that I feel as if Celtic could have felt was was, was me transitioning. I never really had a, a formal agent at any point mm-hmm. because there was no point. I was contracted to Celtic. I just feel when you've kind of gave a club for the age of nine. I was we were, we used to train three nights a week. It was Aye. a lot of commitment to my mum and dad travelling a game on a Sunday, so it was four it was four four days a week. And um, when you've been with a club for that long, I just felt they could have they could have helped help me move on mm-hmm. for Celtic, whether Aye. that be getting you in touch with maybe some agents that people knew. But I was kind of just that's your final day. See you later. And then mm-hmm. it was like, and it was actually Neil Lennon's agent, Martin Riley, that, that actually helped me. Right. So he was he was friendly with Jim McAnally who was my youth coach so he got in touch with him for me and it was him that actually got me the move over to Bohemians we, um, I, I've spoken about that a couple of times as well and, and it's it's kind of like there's a there's a theory I can't remember it's like a sort of I don't know what you would call it or a concept like the shopping trolley concept you don't if you say you're at shopping and you've got a trolley you've got no obligation to put it back there's no requirement no rules but it's kind of still the right yeah. thing to do and clubs don't have any real obligation, but I think ethically they really should be looking at, at helping out players. If you're if you have you've given your your entire life to try and make something happen, it doesn't happen to then just kind of wash their hands and go, oh well, not really a problem. It is a bit it's a bit unfair. I mean, to kind of take it a step back in hindsight as well. So Celtic did have a good education program, and we were encouraged to go to college one day a week. Can I see the uptake on that being very, very but high? In hindsight, now as well, but there, there was other things as well. So you would maybe get called up to train with the reserves on the Wednesday or something. Aye. So you would obviously sack college off. Definitely. But what I would say to any young players is like definitely take that opportunity and, and go and try and do something. Mm-hmm. It's a, a good story. We actually completely fucked it off, to be honest. Um, there was a group of We Ferry was there, yeah, Charlie Grant, a couple of the Irish boys. 
And then we ended up getting a, co- a, a college course like built in at Celtic Park and we were fucking learning to cook. It was an absolute riot. <laughs> so this guy, this lecturer from Motherwell College would come out to Celtic Park every Wednesday and we were up in one of the kitchens in the main stand you need to be with the lights on, with the, the, lights, in the, that, aye, the lights in that, the one. If you're sending a lecture, you need to make sure he's a strong character <laughs> oh, or else you get alive. Seeing, I think now, man, I, actually I'm embarrassed because we absolutely tortured the guy <laughs> he, got, he was an English guy called Tony and he got absolutely tortured every week man I don't know how he just never jacked it in and says he was not coming he back he must have been on a good retainer or something I, he's brought every I don't day know he's... there was a golden handshake somewhere mate but it was, an, oh, it was an absolute he's, he's looking in the mirror at his and going just do it just do it this is paying for Dubai <laughs> just go in he's probably got a few Aye. tickets and that as well uh, I suppose before we do move on I should ask you about just the, the sort of typical Gives your best stories because there's got to have been some some massive characters, people like Tommy Gravison. Aye, what a man. He's the enigma of all enigmas, but he's a legend as well, by the way. He, he just hung about with us. He just hung about with the young boys. Was <laughs> it on about 40 grand a week as well? Mate, honestly, it was mental. He just loved playing pool with us, brought his own pool cue in every day, and then obviously eventually got bombed and he was training with us in that. Um, but I, remember, I always remember the, the first day he came training. So he's obviously came for Real Madrid, Beckham and all that. Unbelievable. <laughs> it was the Scuddy. So the, the first team had played. So usually they would get, they would they would do a cool down and then they'd get the day off. Right. So it would be a session with the reserves and the the players that maybe only go the a wee bit of time coming ah, on the yeah, bench yeah. and the boys in the stand. So he's like, I'll go and train. Mate, obviously Lennox Town wasn't there, it was still getting built at the time, mm-hmm. so it was all Barrafield. <laughs> we were like, ah, mate, he's, he's getting for real. With what is he thinking? He's, <laughs> he's getting drove up. You, you obviously, the first team get changed at Parkhead and uh, then drove up. Aye, aye. And we're like, what is he thinking? But mate, he was straightening about the warm up, man. And he's like, so we're, we're stretching, he's coming along, he's, he's doing the old thigh stretch with me. Hi. I'm like, ah, fucking hell. Can't it's just been training with Ryo and Beckham and that? <laughs> So he's like, oh, do you like night boots? I had like, I think Magic's a rascal. Like, all the young boys would all day. If you were cleaning boots in the first team, get like a, a package with new boots. All the old boots, we'd be like, oh, they're my size. I'm getting them. Aye. So I had a pair of like Magic's a rascal's like Nikes or something. <laughs> I was like, I just wear anything that's gone. He's like, oh, what size are you? And I'm like, an eight and a half. But I thought nothing of it. Absolutely thought nothing of it. And um, trained. But other than then, as I say, like the, as the weeks went on, he's, he's playing pool with us, hanging about with us. And we used to get uh, changed in the away dressing room at Celtic Park. Uh, but the masseuses and all that would set up in there and the chiropractors. So aye, I aye. the first team had been in it. And it must have been easy two or three weeks later, mate. He just opened the door with a big box, mate. Just threw a big box at me. He's like, there you go, Dino. He'd remembered my size, mate, and got me like fucking top of the range, two pair of well, top an absolute 90s. hero. Absolutely, boys are all absolutely fucking raging. I remember, um, like thinking about him coming in. So he would have been at Val de Bibas, Real Madrid State of the Art training ground in the outskirts of Madrid, and then he's driving up London Road, like and like towards like Etty Parkhead. Like, how funny is it? I know, and I don't even think the the Commonwealth Games. I don't even think the the it started work yet. So no. it was like the proper old school. Because I, I stayed in Springfield. I had a flat in Springfield Road, right <laughs> behind the turnstile, <laughs> and then I moved away. And uh, and it was when I moved away that they started doing other regeneration. Mm-hmm. It looks like a different that's place. That's amazing. Though. People can't remember because I mean that's only so we're talking ten years ago. Well, obviously then, so that was oh seven, so about I fourteen years ago, night and day. Unbelievable. Like I remember the old school and whatever where we used to obviously park, and then there was obviously the old the old flats across the road where 
if you part some motor there, mind the wee guys, geezer quid and that. Uh, yeah. Or your tyres are getting slashed. Uh, geezer quid and that, uh, see that, uh, that one, see that Rottweiler there. <laughs> he looks after my motor and that, can he put it fires, can he? Oh, mate, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Like the, the transformation of that, that whole area. It is. Uh, I miss, I really miss the old school and I miss the way that, see like the Celtic way, it looks great. Aye. Like, it looks nice. But I, if, if if I could, I'd probably just go back to the way it was because that's just how I remember it, like growing up. And I'm, I'm like, have you bit sad when the old school and that's gone? But well, we ain't. Uh, uh, there's probably other stories it. that I could tell you as well. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to name and shame Can't anybody on this. You can tell me them off here. Yeah. Aye. What was that like moving over to Ireland? Because if you've never really been away from home, that's a, that's yeah, a whole challenge in itself. It was. It was. Um, I loved it though. The club are obviously based in Dublin, and they put us up in um, Malahide really lovely Malahide Castle aye um, in the wee marina village it's a, a great story so when it was me and a lot and it was an ex-Celtic player as well Ryan McCann right so he was older than me me and him actually signed the same day right and we both were on the same flight over there to obviously sign him whatever so when we initially went there there was a man the manager was called Sean Connor and he already stayed in Malahide so he came and picked us up at the airport mate we ended up staying his gaff with him and his missus and his newborn for about the first two weeks oh, until sake. they sorted as a flat. Mate, I kid you not, the guy was, you couldn't you couldn't paint a redneck on him, man. He was like, here boys, you want to watch the Wayne, we've got to go for a coffee. <laughs> mate, he just dumped me in the ca- me canzo with his Wayne and this gaff, just watch Wayne for a couple of hours, he's no bothering that. He'd go for a coffee and Fucking go out for something a bite to eat. And that's that. what he, your flat was probably already set up. He's <laughs> like, here, just get these two idiots to show so you. I think he realised we weren't happy, and um, we actually moved in. We there was a group of boys in a, another flat. So while our flat was getting sorted, we moved in with them. They had a spare room or whatever, and it was an absolute. Oh, it was carnage. We were just all young boys. You just out all the time. I, I mean, you playing a Friday night earlier. Uh, all right, so right. Friday night football earlier. And he was brilliant, to be fair. See if you get a result on a Friday, but like that, be Saturday for a cool-down. And it'd be like Sunday, and I'd sometimes say, I want to get him. And he'd be like, right, come back on Monday night, because it's just a listening Monday, Aye. so he'd sometimes give you two days off, man. It was carnage. That's, that's old-school motivation, isn't it? That, that was just carnage. Just keeping you on side. But I'll tell you, it was it was a really competitive league over there. I, I think just I was actually thinking about it last night. Some of the players that I played, I played against a young um, Seamus Coleman. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, he was at Sligo. Right. And I was playing left wing against him, and you could just tell he was an absolute machine. He was just a young boy, man, but he never gave you a minute's peace, man. Mm. And he was taking you back the way as well. But I, so he was there, and um, the boy Kevin Doyle went on to play for Ireland. He played for, play for Redding, and, Redding and whatever. Shane Long, uh, the boy Roy, Roy O'Donovan. How many uh, transfer windows <laughs> were Celtic linked with him? But it was a really strong league. I was really surprised with, the, with how good it was. Aye. Paddy McCourt was, uh, he was a top man at the time. He was at Derry at the Aye. time. Unbelievable player. I'd like to go over to a Bohemians game. It's, uh, Shamrock against Bohemians is unbelievable. Aye. Dublin's a good night out as well, aye. isn't it? Oh, brilliant. Do you ever go to the... Oh, fuck's that place called? Crystal's. Swords. No, uh, the right venue. Oh, right? Aye. I've got a... So, there's a, there's a right good story here for my, my days at Bohemians and how my, probably my time at Bohemians came to an end. We'd finished the season and I think we'd get into Europe. We'd finish third or fourth and we'd get into like, the, the UEFA, the, the Europa, whatever, qualifiers. And... Um, all the senior boys had organised a, a night out. Well, a day out. It was actually meeting at 11 o'clock in the morning. I was only 20, 21 at the time. Wet behind the ears. Started at 11. We were going to like Shelbourne Dugs that night and that. You, you legless by two. Got to, I, I made it to Shelbourne Dugs, man. But I was like, I can't do Dublin. I just want to be back. So I went back to right. So that was my haunt. That was my it spot. Was great Amazing place, swords. swords was only five minutes from where I stayed. Aye. 
unbelievable. I've got a pal that stays over in Swords and uh, I went a wee, a wee spell where I was just there all the time. Brilliant. So we go between the right cafe and the right venue. Brilliant. Aye, great, great spot. Place. And uh, it was in there, so we went back there. Somebody bought fucking champagne or something. I've ended up miraculously like, gone. <laughs> I've staggered out of the place, supposedly. I've been told this in the morning. The Garda, I've basically stumbled onto the road. A danger to myself. The Garda put me in the cells to sober up. Right. Unbeknown to me, one of the boys, I'm not going to name them, he'd been lofted that night for something. Basically, he'd went, so where we stayed, the doors were all identical. It was identical flats. Right. He's thinking the boys had locked him out and he smashed the door. He smashed the door down thinking oh, that it was their flat and it was a young couple. Oh, no. Young couple knew that that next door flat was boys for the, the club. They've reported that to the club. Right. He was meant to get lifted, but by the time the polers got there, he was in his bed and he says, it's fine, we'll come and speak to him in the morning. The club have phoned. <laughs> The police station, whatever, and they says, I we've got a, a Scottish boy in, in, in <laughs> right. blah, blah, blah. So I then ended up getting fucking pulled in by the club because I'd been lifted Get as well. Albeit it was just big for my in, my in safety. Did so you, I get tired by that brush. Did you stick him in? No, he'd already gave himself oh, up right, anyway. Right, so okay. the two the, the two is, um, he obviously fell here, but the two is ended up, uh, it was a very long drive to Belfast because I took my motor there. Very long drive to Belfast. With oiler gear in my wee, my Volkswagen Golf, ferry back here the road and drove him, and then I never returned. He Sean the manager got sacked, and then and I was talking getting a new one year deal, but it never fruitioned. It was Pat Fenlon that ended up getting the job. Oh, was he it? Became the Hibs manager, right? And uh, you, if you did you go to East Stirling after that? Did Jim McAnally end up becoming your manager at East Stirling? Aye. So before that, he was actually the manager at Morton, and when I came back for Bohemians, I'd been in training with the view to signing with him. Right. What, I think I can't mind when my deal expired with Bohemians, but I'd mm. been in training with him. <laughs> and in between that time, we'd we'd agreed that I was going to sign. They played Clyde and I bought me the league and they get beat and he gets sacked. Fuck's sake. So I hadn't signed anything and I kind of went off the rails, started going out and that for a couple of months and then he got the East Stirling job and I thought he phoned me and I was actually I had a really bad hangover and I thought he was actually bamming me up because it was the first time he'd spoke to me since he'd been sacked. Right. He's like, I've taken the East Stirling job come and meet me the night I want you to sign and I'm like he's still in that's the mobs you're watching Sky Sports they're getting beat like seven every Aye. week so anyway he obviously confirmed it was not a bam up and the, 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 there was a guy in England uh, Spencer Fern it was he was a music producer or something he was going to be pumping money in so right, I went and spoke right. to him and then it was a brilliant time, probably. My, my favourite time in football was the three, three and a bit years at East Stirling. Did you play that? You would have played at the same time with Jamie Stevenson and Ted? Aye, aye, I know Ted really well. Played with Ted at East Stirling and Peterhead. Oh, right, aye, aye. aye. So that was um, that after? Do you have a wee spell? Aye. You had a spell, was it playing junior in between? Aye, so when I left East Stirling, I'd actually took a job um, to become like a a project manager for a software company and they were based in England, albeit my, my area would be Scotland and North England. Mm-hmm. So the timing was right just to kind of, I think some junior teams are a bit more, they come and go with you more and you can't have to miss training or that through mm-hmm. work as long as you can obviously play in the games in the weekend. How did that, how was that, not, not placing too big an importance on it or making a big deal, but how is that mentally where you then they start getting into the more sort of normal world of work because you've, you've never really um, known anything different? It's never bothered me. I've, I've, always, I've, I've always had that kind of, thing in my head like I'll do anything as long as I can pay my bills pay my mortgage pay my car or whatever I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do whatever aye. needs to be done as long as money's um, coming in aye I've had a mortgage when I was 18 you know what yeah, I mean yeah, I was yeah. only a young boy so 
in an ideal world, I would have went back because I got good standard grade results. I could have got my, I could have done my hires mm-hmm. and I could have went to university. But when you're 18 and you've got bills and you're used to having your own place, aye, it's not. Just... And, and and education just went in the back burner, unfortunately. Bottom of the list. Mm-hmm. How, how did life then start to unfold for you, just in general? Because um, you know, you're kind of you're, you're winding down and stuff. Was it? Did you find that? lesser pressure because see all the constant travelling and all that and also Aye. like proper grafting for, for not as much money like mm-hmm. physically and, and all the sacrifice and that that comes with like was that, did you enjoy that the, the, transition the, so basically the two years that I had at Lark Call when I left East Stirling um, we had a really good team by the way we had a lot of boys that had played senior football Aye. in that Lark Call junior team but we all stayed during a boot it was a five minute drive for the house to go to training mm-hmm. and the training itself was brilliant it was an old manager uh, Sinky's name was he was brilliant his training was brilliant it was just all games and whatever he just liked getting your fitness out of games and see the two years I had up there it was mm-hmm. brilliant just like just rolling out of your bed just like driving five minutes playing with your pal boys that you know aye, aye. and uh, I actually got the, the enjoyment back for the game and then it was then I went back up I went senior again and I went back up to Peter Heed and how, I was, how did that come about because you would you would make this sort of um, the assumption that Mm-hmm. you would just kind of either stay at that level or kind of go down like it's it is unusual to kind of bounce back mm-hmm. up again um i don't i don't really know the the, the ins and outs of it but craig tully was part of the backroom staff with davy nichols and jim mack they were his backroom team Aye. at the time and tulls was a teammate of mine for the three and a bit years i was at east Stirling, so he phoned me out the blue and just says look would you be interested in coming up and doing pre-season mm-hmm. um and to be honest it was the traveling and whatever i was like i'm not really sure if it's for me but Anyway, I went up and done it, ended up getting a deal, um, and it ended up a great year. I've got a lot of good pals for that time up there. I've always wondered how that works, because seeing like players that are kind of based in the central belt can all the way up there. How does your training work? Do you train separately? Or so, what, what we done was um, initially we trained, it wasn't really training, we got a, we got a pumping by a personal trainer at the Bells Hill Hilton. Right. So it was like a PT session every Monday, Aye. and then we trained as a team, and a Tuesday night at Forfers Ground, so it was like halfway for the Aberdeen boys, halfway for Aye. the West of Scotland boys. Maybe train together one night. <laughs> Would you not be raging if you were based up there? <laughs> Peterhead's close to you. You're like, why the fuck do I need to go halfway across the country? Like, why uh, am I travelling further away from where this club is? Some but... of the boys were getting weighed in, so I don't think they bothered too much. Aye, right, right, um, that makes sense. But the, the, I must admit, Peterhead in terms of a part-time club, unbelievable. Um, one of the best-run clubs. I would probably say they're just as well run as some of the full-time teams. Aye. The hospitality you get, um, how professional they are, unbelievable. It was a great two years, well, year and a half before I went to Monte Paul, but it was a great 18 months I had up there. Did you end up going back up there again? No, so I had the first season, um, and obviously when I went up there, um, I had to kind of buy my time to get some opportunities, and then I did start getting some game time. Mm. And um, so, so I don't know if I've broke mirrors or something in a past life, but... <laughs> Well, my Christmas night out in Glasgow where we were the Nuno far from here and I was just walking down Buchanan Street to try and get a taxi oh I meant to ask you about this and I, I walked, was such a touchy one and I was like should I ask I walked so there was some parked cars and I walked in between two parked cars in St Vincent Street uh-huh. and a car just pulled out, pulled out and smashed me fuck's sake uh, fractured my skull ended up in the uh, the Royal and the did you ever get to the bottom or was it it was embarrassing do you know the police never actually came to the hospital my dad had to phone the police and say like, why have you not came and like spoke to my son he was he was run over and um, 
basically the, the CCTV um, was on a carousel that night and it wasn't pointing to the road and then it became a it became a thing about my word against somebody else's mm. word and there was no case to answer. So, so what did they just think you fucking ran at 50, 40 mile an hour into your parked car then? Just fortunately enough, um, a bystander seen it kind of happening. Uh-huh. I, mean, I don't think I actually seen the impact but he seen, like, I think my head was burst at the time and I because I'd had a drink in me, I bounced up. Aye. And he's like, no, so it was this, I think he was a trainee doctor. He came over and it was him. He phoned the, the ambulance and basically got me down and says, mm-hmm. look, you might have done some damage there. Aye. Sit down and then I really can't really remember much after that um, for the next few days. But aye, I remember the, the police never came at all. They never came at all until my dad phoned and kind of said, look, why have you not come up and spoke to my son? Aye, that's good of him. Sake. So it that's was before Christmas as well, you know. So aye. I don't know, but it was aye. So that again, I just kind of started getting game time. I'd started a few games, and then that was me eight, eight or nine weeks. I was fortunate enough there wasn't any. It, I didn't need any operations. It was a clean break on, aye, aye, on, aye. on the, the front of the skull, um, and then I was able to get back. But by that time, the team had went right, went through a really good vein of form, and we were close to winning the league at that point. Mm-hmm. So I found myself on the bench again, just getting the odd appearance, but. I'd came close to winning a league medal with East Stirling twice. We'd got to the playoffs and never quite made Aye. it. And um, so it was good to kind of just get a winner's medal for League Two. So Aye, eventually. definitely. Eventually, you're pro- as God, you've probably see if, if we'll come to kind of have you ret- would you you've retired now, obviously. Yeah, Are so I'd, I'd agreed to play for Canvas Lang um, last summer, um, and been COVID had obviously happened and. Aye. I never enjoyed it, mate. Um, I went and done the first four or five weeks of pre-season and I wasn't probably as fit as I should have been, but I wasn't enjoying it. The, the fact that you couldn't get changed properly, you were having to turn up with your gear on, you couldn't get the banter. Aye. It was all the all the restrictions. Aye, I just that. didn't enjoy it. I saw people that are turning up for games and having to go up the road. There's nothing worse if you're soaking Aye. and or still yep. stinking. And then a lot of... Um, so I've since moved to another job. I'm working for an, another software company based in East Kilbride called mm. She Software. And... Um, I get more responsibilities with them, um, help me with like, project management and stuff like that. You're probably thinking at that point then, uh, do you know what? It's been it's been a like a hectic however many years. I had my my serious injury when I've been knocked down. It's time for a time yep. for just a quiet life. And and that, didn't that, pan that, out that way. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly what it was. Must, um, I, there's, there's been a few mirrors broken somewhere. <laughs> like, talk, talk talk me through it in your own recollection of how that kind of came about um, so as you say obviously lockdown wasn't great I'd been working from home for, for probably February 2020 um, which wasn't great I like to have routine and whatever but I'd start I'd adapted and I'd kind of changed the spare room into an office and I'd mm. made the best of it Aye. anyway it was just after Christmas this year and I'd done dry January and um, basically I was doing like, trying to do a 5k every day and albeit I probably wasn't as fit as I should have been, I'd never had an issue with going and doing it the next day. Aye. I then started getting a lot of leg pain. I, I then basically it was like in my knee and in my thigh and in my calf. Just like I'd never had pain like it before. Mm. And it was to the point where I was actually just like having to walk, but I was actually labouring walking. So I kind of just rested for two or three weeks. And then it kind of went away, just working away normal, no issues. And um, it was April, just lying in bed one night, having a wee fondle down below, as you do. And I just felt something that wasn't right on the right one. Mm-hmm. My missus was actually just about to fall asleep at the time, so I never actually said anything. Aye. 
woke up the next morning straight into work and I'd forgot about it. And it was probably about maybe 10 days later. It was the same thing. We were in bed and then I felt it again. So obviously it was still there. It wasn't in my imagination, but it wasn't sore or anything. Mm -hmm. um, and then I told my missus that night. And if it wasn't for her, she would. I probably would have, typical guy, I'd have probably brushed it off as it's nothing. Was, is there a, how does it feel? Was it like an element of embarrassment? Because that is a right. Like, let's be honest, that's a ready black doctor here. Have a feel of that, will I you? Know. I think there was there, there, there clearly was maybe an embarrassment, and then there's I think there was a I think there was an element of you're only thirty four. It's not going to be anything. Aye. I think there's that element. I'm not wanting. I think there's possibly an element you don't want to kind of annoy a doctor for something that you think it could be like a, a sister or something. <laughs> exactly. Aye. And um, it, uh, and that was it. But my missus just kind of took it out of my hands and she phoned, I've got to thank her for obviously Aye, my health. She phoned the doctor the, the very next morning on my behalf and then I got the phone appointment later on in the afternoon for the doctor. And um, I just kind of had to explain how it felt, this, the, the size of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he actually kind of said the same. He says it's uh, it, the chance of it being anything severe or very slim. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it'll more than likely be this sis they named it I can't remember the name now but that completely put me at ease mm -hmm. and then he says but what we'll do part of the protocol is that I'll book you in for an ultrasound at here Myers Aye. so you'll get a letter through the post and you'll got my couple of weeks and you'll get the MRI eh, the, the ultrasound scan done what was it like because again there is I know there is a portion of embarrassment with this like to even to, to talk about it but if we're honest it's people knowing this probably that's like it's the difference in it between saving a life. Like, was it like a, is it like a lump on it, or was it on the skin? Or? Aye, so it's obviously underneath, it's Aye. underneath the the sac really, um, and it's on it's on the testicle, and it just felt like something extra on it Aye. underneath. It's probably you know, even the same. We're, we're obviously speaking about it men and testicular cancer, but I'm, sh I'm sure it's very similar for women and, and yep. breast cancer stuff. Yep. And I actually only just recently learned that men can have breast cancer as well. <laughs> Um, I suppose it's just being aware of any changes in your body. I had something that was turned out to be nothing, mm -hmm. but I left it for ages because yep. I just was like, oh, it's it'll go away. Pr it'll go away. Mm -hmm. It's probably nothing. It's a fucking, it's, it's already, I'm not going to a doctor, I'm like, right, get, yep. your, get your hands on that. But looking back, that's that's quite immature of me. <laughs> I, don't, I think it's, a, again, I think we, it's, it's a trait, it's a West of Scotland trait, isn't it? Um, Aye. And that that's particularly for my reason, because I thought I was bulletproof. I never thought for a second that anything like that would happen to me at 34 years of age. There's, uh, I mean, one of my really close pals had similar. Um, I think he was actually, he was younger, and it was an ordeal for, for years. And, and it nearly, yep. I hope I'm not speaking to turn if he's listening, but it nearly took him. Mm -hmm. And and we joke about it, so like in a black humour. Yeah. The guy said to me, I was like, well, if you die, can I get your drone? <laughs> <laughs> and, but it, and we would laugh and stuff and it was humour, but it was scary and it, it's kind of upsetting and stuff. What, what then happens? So I take it, you go for the scan and they say, oh, by the way, this is actually yeah, more no, serious. So I went for the scan and it was a Monday afternoon. Um, it would have been the 17th of May. It was run about then. I might have got the dates wrong, but it was, it was run about then in May. Went for the scan it was literally in and out of here miles in 25 minutes. Mm. And um, they're not allowed to tell you anything. But looking back now, the person that was doing the scan, I could tell. Aye. She, they just, she basically quite abruptly says, oh, your doctor will get the, 
the, the scans and the specialists will look at them and then they'll be in touch mm-hmm. within whenever. So I wasn't told anything. Probably a chance she would have went, listen, you're all right. Uh, aye. So anyway, I went home. Um, I finished my, my day's work and then the, ne- then the next morning I'm, I'm working. My missus at that point had transitioned back in for doing bits in the office, bits in home. So she was she was in the office mm-hmm. and my daughter was at school. So I was in the house myself and then my doctor phoned me at half twelve on my mobile. Aye. And uh, I just finished for my lunch break at work and then he phoned me and basically said, look, Dean, um, the results have come back for your, for your scan yesterday and they've found something sinister on the scans. That's not a word. They're not they happy. could have chose so, a word, couldn't they have? Uh, that's my biggest bugbear was um, he never handled the call very well no. at all I think, be, if, that should be very I, think if, I think if he'd another chance at it he would do it differently I think Aye. he actually he, he, he need enough admitted that before he finished the call Aye. but that was the worst I felt so, so it, it's basically been about 12-13 weeks since the whole th- so for where I'm at now it's been about 13 weeks yeah. that day getting that phone call for him and then what happened was he told me that the, it would be the, the consultant in Monklands in the urology mm-hmm. department that would phone me within a couple of hours. He says things will progress pretty quickly and they'll probably get you up into the urology department within the next 24 hours. It was the receptionist that then phoned me and she was not able to give me any anything. So I knew in my head, it's obviously that's what it is. Aye. You don't move that quickly for... For Definitely. nothing, especially in what we've been going through, everything's delayed. Aye. So it was that—that that was the worst um, I, I've been in the whole time. Was that period between the doctor phoning me and um, the doctor phoning me, and then going to Monklands the next day, and then getting told. Um, what, what is? Did they then just set set about and say, right, we're going to just need to get wired into treatment? Or? Aye. So it was a guy same age as me, thirty-four, just a young doctor came in and told me the news. He's like, look, Dean, um, we've 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 studied the scan um, and we're, we're, we're fairly confident that it's te- te- testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that point, it was it was, f- it was eerie. I, I kind of went calm at that point because I knew, right, you've told me what it is now. Aye. And then my missus went, she was in, she was in with me. Upset. She went, so I kind of went for being the one that was really uptight and I just, I didn't know what was happening. As soon Aye. as I got told it, it was, it was crazy. I felt, I felt a sense of calm. It's probably feeling like I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, well, we've caught it earlier, I'm in the right hands, like they know, yep. if known what it is, because I suppose that would be the worst thing if they're going, we don't really know what's up, yep. but it's like, well, we can deal with this and we can tackle it. Did, yep. did she just felt as if, right, that's it, we're going to just power on? And- yeah, so I mean, I, I'll be honest, I deliberately never Googled anything. I just, I, I think ignorance is bliss really at that point for right. me. And um, I was completely ignorant, so I'm just relying on the, the specialist to tell me, right, what what's happening now. Mm-hmm. So they basically says, look, we you can't you can't cut at, at the area and the testicle. You can't go in because obviously sometimes you can do a biopsy and whatever. You can just remove the tumor. Aye. The risk of spread is too severe, so that's mm-hmm. why it's it's the removal. Mm-hmm. So he explained that he says, look, I'm going to book you in next Friday for the procedure. In the meantime, have you finished having a family? So you don't think you're ever going to get that question. Aye. So Aye. you're like, no, I'd still, I'd still like it to be in my hands. So then you have to go to the sperm clinic in Monklands and you had to get a, an, a, an appointment booked there. And by the way, you think like going to a lawyer and signing forms in that clinic, I must have signed easy about 50 forms. Oh, fuck's sake. To get sperm basically that frozen. That's something you just wouldn't, you wouldn't consider. So it's not only you're dealing with 
the impact in the news like that's having and everything that that entails. But also, by the way, if you want to have kids, fire in there, deal with these yeah. forms. What kind of forms are they asking you to sign? So I think it's it's just the day we kind of, if my partner, obviously something happens to me and she obviously tries to obtain the samples, it's right. all just, it's, it's legal to the nth degree. It's right, like too aye, far. Aye. But I don't know if there's been some, I think there has been some high profile cases of that happening. Aye. So I think it's like, they other cover every single base mi- mixing up samples <laughs> or something <laughs> but aye that was an experience so like for them that the doesn't know like you've got an hour to get your sample in so I was doing my sample in the house and then getting up <laughs> <laughs> that must be that is surreal that is bizarre aye uh, what, what, how did you so you, you were saying about undergo, you undergoing chemo just now so I had the surgery and um, because chemotherapy basically just wipes your immune system, aye, you, aye. you have to make sure that the the, the, the the wound is properly healed. Right, okay. So you don't you normally start chemo like four or five weeks after the surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that, I got my appointment. So the, the surgery went really well, got the surgery done. I, I peeled really quickly, felt good. Um, and then I went to see the the top man for this type of cancer, um, Jeff White at the Beatson, for my follow up appointment because I'd went and got a um, a scan, a proper scan, mm-hmm. um, a CT scan, just to see if it had spread anywhere. So then it was great news, and that they, they'd managed the, the the cancer had been contained to the testicle, so yeah. I was cancer free. Um, great but, news. Um, then there was obviously a wee bit of bad news in that when they'd done the biopsy on the tumor. Yeah, they'd found these mixed germ cells or whatever in the, the type of cells where if I don't get that chemotherapy follow-up treatment, mm-hmm. um, a, a course or a cycle of the chemotherapy, there would be up to between a 20 to 50% chance oh that it would come back. But being able to d- deal with that and get that treatment quickly, yeah. does that just... Yeah, so basically the it was a no-brainer. The figures are, when you get that round of chemotherapy, they drop from 20 to 50 to 25%. Right, there we go. That's that's positive. I mean, how I can't even imagine because I remember my pal telling me that, and then kind of witnessing his ordeal, and it was it made me really think. I don't know how to explain it, but it made me really reconsider my mortality. And he was a fit, healthy, active guy. Just kind of just like you, just ticking every box mm. of what you would hope somebody would be physical, like sort of physicality wise. And I've seen in him like a massive change in like what he prioritizes or like um just what's kind of important to him. Have you felt I know it's been a short time and you've not had as much time to reflect and a lot of that will come later, but have you felt that the way that in which you see the world is has changed? A hundred percent. I mean, for one, I need to kind of take my hats off to my manager at my work and my work have taken that that stress of are you going to look after me? Do you, are you expecting me to work? They aye, literally aye. took that away from me that's right away. And that's been honestly unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Just to not have that pressure. It's and just they've, being, they've literally just said, being you good, come back. Being, being good, good human humans. Beings, aye. Aye, but yeah. by the way, look, there's, you, they are quite there's, rare. Aye, there, aye. There's, there's, there's organisations, there's companies out there that probably wouldn't be, wouldn't be as, um, as, as thoughtful and understanding. So mm-hmm. they're, they're being first class. Um, and I can't thank them enough because as I say, 
obviously financially the bills still come in and whatever, you know. Aye, so just to have stop. that peace of mind has been just one of the ones that allows you to focus on beating this and, and going through the treatment. So maybe this might apply because we never know who's who's listening and somebody could be going through a similar ordeal, whether it's a family member or somebody close to them or them themselves. Was there avenues of support offered to you? Like, because that is a... I must have a huge mental strain on you. Yeah, so obviously the, the doctors and whatever say you've got obviously your charities, the Beatson have got their charities, there's Aye. Macmillan, there is, there is avenues for people that struggle and they want to go and talk. Fortunately for me, I've got a really good network, my family, my friends, my missus. Yeah. It's been second to none, so I, I've not really felt the need, but I definitely feel that seeing firsthand the Beatson, it's an unbelievable place. And Aye. I mean, I'm, for, I'm fortunate that my diagnosis, I've, there's people in there that are terminal, there's people in there that are not as fortunate and... Mm-hmm. and, and I've seen that first hand. Aye. It's that. A, I mean, it's an incredibly um, positive outlook to have in it because you could be forgiven for, for being on the floor or thinking it's the end of the world, but to be able to still have that perspective of, right, well, I've been fortunate and there are people who are not so lucky. It's funny. I, I, think, as you, I think you touched on it there. I think these 12 weeks, it's been like a whirlwind. There's been appointments, there's been scans, there's yeah. been, the, there's been the, the chemo into hospital then there's been constant checkups. there's been the, the surgery then the recovery I've not really had a lot of time to kind of digest exactly because I, I sometimes feel it's not happening to me aye. other than the chemo's obviously a physical thing you're struggling yeah aye. so you know but with the surgery it was like I've had surgeries before it was just it, it, I mean they, they just go in for the, the groin it's like you're, it's like a, a groin nice, operation it? it's um, you. I mean the, the, there may come a point when everything's done and dusted and you'll maybe look back and go Oh fuck! Like <laughs> shit! I can't believe that just happened. I I I think it will come. I think um, so. I'm now. So I had my last. So basically, the chemo was a three week cycle. Yeah. The week one was a really intense cycle. So I was in a uh, hospital for the Tuesday to the Friday overnight, and it was um, a twelve hour cycle of chemotherapy the first day. Then it was another twelve hour mm-hmm. the next day, and then I finished with like, a three or four hour one on the the Thursday into the Friday, and then I get out on Friday night and. That really hit me. I'd, I, my parents and my family, and they, they tell me that I, I looked really well, considering. Aye. But that was a struggle. That first week was really intense, and my, that, that took a lot of me. I was about to say I can imagine, but I really can't. Um, it, it must just be so intensely difficult. You, to touch back on like Macmillan um, and like the Beatson and stuff, because I've heard this, and people not saying it in a bad way, but I've heard people saying about for charity fundraisers, and they think, oh, there's no other things you could donate to because these charities get a lot of money or yeah. why have we not cured cancer yet? And it's like, it's not about the cure yeah. because it's about care, it's about providing, you know, just support for people who need it and how, how mate, important uh, it is. Honestly, I can't thank them enough. The, the nurses, the staff, unbelievable, mate. Like, they know... Pure, uh, like just uh, angels, aren't they? Uh, like, it's just, just unbelievable. People. Like you, you don't want for anything. Like, you, you know, uh, selfless people. Because um, even like, and, and this might sound terrible, but if somebody was to say to me, would you like to work there? I'd be like, I don't know if I could handle that. Mm. And the fact that they do put themselves in that position, and it is incredibly selfless because they could be forgiven for saying, I'm sorry, but I just yep. can't. Um, it's a special type of person to work no, there. No, 100%. I, I'm the same as you. I don't think I could I could do it. Um, it's too emotional for me. But the, the fact that they can kind of put that aside and, and comfort people and... And, and make them feel like humans. Mm-hmm. Aye. Um, it was amazing, and I, I seen firsthand 
there was people that were really struggling in the awards as uh-huh. well and I was maybe just I was fortunate that I've caught things early so they're struggling they're really struggling in there and they, they, they handle that really well Having been through that experience now and, and thankfully kind of coming towards the end I'm sure there's still a yep. quite a bit to go what advice would you give to anybody first of all people in general about about looking after themselves but secondly if there is something that they're concerned about um, I think for me the, the first thing that I'd done and I just it just came like I'm I, I don't like to kind of broadcast anything and I was just going to keep it private initially mm-hmm. and then I thought this was at the point when I'd been diagnosed and like five weeks ago I was just living my life normal and I'm like if Aye. that can happen to me and like, and if I can get that message and explain that so Twitter's been unbelievable and what's helped me there's been about five or six guys that I don't really know and it's maybe through mutual people or whatever yeah. they reached out privately to me who went through it and that mm-hmm. was massive for me Aye. to see that they've come out to the other side through the treatments and some of them are a lot worse than me yeah. seeing that they're back living a normal life Aye. You know, they've had kids, whatever, and that gave me a lot of encouragement, a lot of hope, and just to kind of get the heat down and, and, and battle through. That's understandable. It's just a, it's a, just a pure hellscape to be in. Um, as I keep saying, like, I just can't even imagine. Um, but obviously delighted to, to see no, how things are turning great. out. Great. I mean, obviously, I've lost the, I've lost the Barnet, man. I'll be back. The Barnet's back, so I'm like a crossbreed between um, you're, you're... London Dykes and, and uh, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you're looking, but you're looking surprisingly fresh for somebody who is coming off the back of, back of chemotherapy. So you'll be you'll be back to uh, you'll be back to your hundred percent yourself. No, no, no brilliant. And as I say, like I'm just doing eight weekly scan um, checkups now. Uh-huh. I'm going to get a, a CT scan at a year, two years, five years. So as far as I'm aware now, I'm. I'm cancer free, and it's just all about obviously just getting the regular checks now, and right. getting back to getting back to work, getting back to full fitness. Excellent, and it's just all thanks to to catching it quickly. So for anybody listening, don't hesitate, don't don't um, dilly dally or swither on it because it is it's a difference between life and death, isn't it? I think, yep. Did they say? I don't mean to prod or ask an insensitive question, but did they say how things could have been if you hadn't gone in? I think the um, the the positive of that type of cancer um, and probably the most high profiles like um, Lance Armstrong and Aye. then you've got like John Hartson that had sp- the, the testicular cancer had spread up into their brain Aye. so in terms of it, I can't I know any cancer is bad but I was told that the the, the chances of getting coming into remission and uh-huh. being cancer free was higher than if it had been other cancers but it's not needless to say the earlier that you can detect it and catch it mm-hmm. the quicker you can actually get the treatment because there's some people they don't detect the tumour and it's too big they mm-hmm. have to actually get the chemotherapy first to shrink the tumour before they can get uh-huh. the surgery um, so early detection is key for me mm-hmm. um, but in saying that if it is obviously spread it is one of the cancers that they could they can still try and obviously contain. Mm-hmm. Well, mate, I, I can only have to applaud you and, and thank you for, for coming on and talking about it. There's many things that I think people speak about, maybe for, maybe speaking of a term here, but for their own ego, and then they say, it's for raising awareness, and mm-hmm. it's not, it's for a wee ego boost, but this is a very, it's a selfless thing. Um, so, so good on you. Thanks very much, and thanks for having me on, Sean. Thank you. Pleasure, mate. And thank you for listening, and remember and check yourself. We'll be back for another episode of Blethered soon. Cheers. Blethered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. 
Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine. And for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series, including Talk Media. You could start a fight in an empty house. Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug, and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.